calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Realm presents Gods and Lies, Episode 7, Iris. I dashed blood and sweat out of my eyes as we screeched around a sharp turn. Andy thumped against the passenger side window. Is this the point where we call for backup? He asked, rubbing the side of his head. I laughed, low and ragged. What should I tell them? That a goddess is on her way to wipe out a strip club full of nymphs and a relic thief? The law says relic thieves are fair game to deities, and nymphs don't even get a mention in the books. Then we should call Estros. It wouldn't help. His temple's in chaos right now, and in the time it would take to convince him his own wife betrayed him, Tilamon will have dragged the only witness to the bottom of the sea. I leaned on the horn as a careless driver tried to cut in front of us. I'm such an idiot. She played everything about this case to her own advantage, including us. Iris. She knows Estros better than anyone. Of course she made Pippa's death look like his handiwork. She knew he'd rather skedaddle than deal with the aftermath, making him look even more guilty. Now Estros's name is on everyone's lips. No one's paying attention to what she's doing. This isn't just on you. I turned to gape at him. I'm a justix. This is what I'm trained to do. But I was so sure for so long that it was Estros. I let my own past tarnish my judgment. I swung my attention back to the road. I knew Tilamon drowned people, Andy said quietly. In the old days, her priests buried sacrifices up to their necks in sand and left them for the tide to come in. I knew that about her. My fingers tightened around the wheel. She's your sister. It's natural you would trust her. She probably drowned those Outlander girls, too, he continued, a weary relentlessness to his voice. Tillamon can sing the water out of just about anything. That could be how she covered her tracks for so long. If we get out of this, someone should check to see if the residue found in the victim's lungs matches the salts from her sacred pool. I didn't know what to say. Out of everyone in the Pantheon, my mother included, 
Tillamon is the only one who always had my back. His voice was barely louder than the rumble of the engine. But she used me, the same way she used you. The only one to blame for all this is her. I revved the gas and shot my car through a red light. I was already overdue on my tithe to Travica, anyhow. We can play the blame game later. For now, we get to the garden and save however many we can. I could already see the gaudy gold palm trees of the garden coming up on our right as we raced down the coastal road. I swerved into the parking lot and slammed on the brakes. The car skidded to a stop just in time for us to watch the sea-facing wall of the Garden of Delight explode outward, scattering debris across the beach. A single nymph crawled out of the wreckage, a wrapped bundle in her arms, and started scrambling down the beach to the ocean. Tillamon followed with a slow hunter's swagger. She was dressed for battle in a suit of armor made from gleaming interlocked oyster shells. She swelled upward with every step until she stood at an imposing 20 feet, with a trident clenched in one hand. I threw myself out of the car, Andy following close behind. Stop right there! I almost added in the name of Themia, but caught myself at the last second. Tillamon's head swiveled toward us, her eyes black, bottomless pools. I'm a little busy at the moment. With a casual twist of her arm, she launched her trident and pinned the fleeing nymph to the sand. Whatever she'd been holding slipped from her grasp. I recognized Etha, the garden's manager. No, Andy cried. The nymph gave a squashed laugh. I felt worse. Tillamon's hand clenched into a fist, and the trident twisted of its own accord. Etha's laugh dissolved into a scream. Leave the nymph alone. She doesn't know anything. I said. The sea goddess laughed. I very much doubt that. Naughty little Etha with her watery thumbs in everyone's pies. No wonder Sisera hated her. She flexed and the trident glowed lightning blue. Bubbles erupted within the nymph as she started to boil. Tell me where the thief is. Sis, you don't have to do this, Andy pleaded. Don't I? She stalked toward the flailing, boiling nymph. Gods and humans used to exist in a natural balance. And yet with every passing year, humans demand more of us. Not of the world, but of us. Her magnified voice took on a twisted, high-pitched quality. Be nicer. Smile more. Be accessible. Be fair. It's not enough we keep the Earth on its axis, but now we must manage their feelings, too? Even as she flailed, the nymph's bubbling right hand reached out, scrabbling after her bundle on the sand. Humans are infuriating, I called out. The sea goddess paused, her eyes flickering toward me. I tried to maintain eye contact, keep Tillamon distracted. I can recognize that about myself and about my people. We're selfish, we're ungrateful, we take whatever we can get, but when the time comes to pay the price, we bail. A twitch ran through the sea goddess. Pippa was selfish, I said. I took a careful step forward, my shoe sinking slightly into the sand. And ungrateful. After everything you did for her family. 
You gave them safety, stability, a fancy house in Illyria Ridge. Things they never would have obtained without you. Pippa knew the price. Her whole family did, but she didn't want to pay it. She defied you. One corner of Tillamon's mouth quirked. And how long did that last? Etha's questing fingers finally latched onto the bundle. She pointed it at Tillamon. Defy this! A concussive blast of wind shattered the trident and rocked the tide goddess back. Etha flowed to her feet and sprinted back toward the garden, Teddy's relic tucked under one arm. Run, idiots! Get my girls out of here! I leapt over the destruction of the wall into the club itself, Andy two steps behind. I landed with a splash, seawater coming up to the middle of my calves. A brace of nymphs, two sprites, and a dryad advanced on us, brandishing kitchen knives. Behind them, holding a chair like an old-fashioned lion tamer, was Teddy Marwall. Calm down, girls. They're on our side, Etha called. What happened to throwing Teddy under the bus? Andy asked. I told you, we don't take orders from gods anymore. Now shut your trap and abandon ship. We have seconds to lose. Less, rumbled Tillamon from outside the garden. She stood up, her form almost eclipsing the light streaming through the hole she'd made. She opened her mouth, and one long, aching note belled out. Behind her, the ocean rose like a blanket beneath a stirring sleeper. Up and up, awakening into a tidal wave of apocalyptic proportions. A tidal wave big enough to sweep everyone in the garden, and everyone who opposed her, off the face of the planet. We'd gambled and lost. There was no fighting the Pantheon. I reached out my hand and found Andy's. We laced our fingers together, his scales rough against my palm. I'm sorry, Andy murmured beside me. He started forward. Andy, wait! He slipped out of my grasp, just like that, like a handful of sand, to step over the broken wall. The ocean rose up to meet him, flowing up to his knees, his hips, all the way up to his chest as he stood face to face with the goddess of tides. Tillamon raised her hand and the massive tidal wave perched in the air, awaiting her final command. Are you really going to end your life with one of your silly games? No, he said. His scales lit up as soon as the seawater brushed them whirling patterns of iridescent blue and green coiling up his forearms and the side of his neck. Are you really going to end my life without telling me why? He looked around at the flooding, the wreckage, the terrified nymphs. Why was all this necessary? Why is the sky blue? Why does spring follow winter? There is no why, you pathetic half-breed. Only what is. I am what I am, and no last-minute pandering law from the Three Mothers can change that. I keep the ocean in balance. I bring rhythm, and I bring order. For that, I am due my rightful price. You're supposed to be benevolent. His mouth twisted around the word as if it tasted wrong. Oh, Andymion, 
the sea goddess leaned down to caress Andy's cheek in a parody of affection. What a narrow notion of benevolence you have. I care for this land the same way I always have. And in return, I claim the girls who are unseen from families the rest of Nexos despises. And has anyone noticed or cared? Not in the last two centuries. Just like no one's going to care what happened today to a relic thief, a mongrel, and one wayward law priest. The mournful look evaporated off Andy's face. Cool, cool. Did you get all that, Leona? The slender, translucent creature appeared and curled her arms around Andy's chest. Another figure emerged from the surf, her fingers elongating into sharp icicles. A third nymph rose out of the water wearing a shining barrel crown, her left arm ending in a deadly ice-edged blade. Every blasphemous word, the crowned nymph replied. Her sisters stared at Tillamon, their watery features slack and appalled. Tillamon took a few shaky steps back, rapidly shrinking from 20 feet to 15 to 6. You had mother spy on me? Of course not. They're here for me. Andy settled deeper into the nymph's embrace. I'm forbidden from the ocean, remember? Mom's orders? Her servants are so punctual. They arrived just in time to hear you incriminate yourself. His voice hardened. The Sea Mother will notice if these nymphs disappear. They're practically her eyes and ears. Tillamon's face twisted into a mask of hatred. Then I shall have to claim my pleasure while I can, starting with your little Justix friend. Summoning a new trident to her hand, her gaze narrowed to focus on me, waiting with the others in the flooded garden. She drew back her arm and threw. Before I could so much as react, much less dodge, a calloused, battle-scarred hand plucked the trident out of the air. I splashed forward and climbed over the broken garden wall, not quite believing what I was seeing. The woman who'd caught the trident stood as tall as Telamon. No, taller, for she had arrived in her gold-chased sled driven by six brindled hounds. From the sounds of wild yelping and barking echoing down the beach, the rest of her pack wasn't far behind. I heard squawking, too, and spotted a ruffled-looking seagull clinging to Themia's shoulder. You really ought to be more careful with your toys, Themia intoned. You almost hit my Justix by accident. That would have been unfortunate. Tillamon laughed. A surprisingly hoarse rumble, like rocks, tumbled underwater. Are you actually here to try and sit in judgment of me, Huntress? Have you forgotten what happened the last time you overstepped your bounds? I'm well aware of where my jurisdiction ends. Coming from a mortal woman, Themia's tone would have sounded almost wry. She leaned against the front of her chariot and ruffled the ears of one of her hounds. We're only here to observe. It's your mother you should be worried about. What? 
The water behind Tillamon began to bubble and blacken, thickening to the consistency of tar. The shifting substance crawled forward across the beach like a living thing, wrapping oozing tendrils around the sea goddess's feet. Stop this at once! Tillamon started to struggle, like a fly caught in a web, as the tendrils slithered higher. Mother, would you really take the word of humans, nymphs, and by-blows over mine? Where are my peers? The seagull, clinging to Themia's shoulder, leapt into the air, and in a flash of light, Estros strode onto the beach. Would you trust my word, wife? Husband! The tendrils crept up towards Tillamon's knees, locking her in place. She reached out to him. Stand for me! Above the ever-shifting braids of his beard, the wind god's face could have been a block of granite. Stand for you? You desecrated my temple. I cannot let that pass. Tillamon's eyes flashed. And where were you when your precious temple was being defiled? Disguising yourself as a rooster so you could rig cockfights again? First of all, cockfighting is a respectable athletic competition between two noble creatures. And secondly, it's none of your business. You murdered my favored and tried to pin it on me. The tendrils rose up above Tillamon's waist, and something in the goddess's expression snapped. She was mine before she was yours. You knew she was mine and you stole her anyway so her brother could clean up your pathetic relic mess. It was about time you suffered some consequences for a change. The wind god's face remained carefully blank. I have no idea what you're talking about. Tillamon started to pant as the water reached her chest and my gut twisted painfully. I'd never truly seen a god afraid before. It felt wrong, on a deeply subconscious, primal level, to see a god in a state of panic. I made myself watch anyway. When the water reached her throat, Tillamon started to laugh. All this trouble for one little mortal. But I had my satisfaction of her in the end. She continued to laugh until the black ooze slid down her throat and consumed the rest of her. The ooze-covered form wobbled once before it dissolved and returned to the sea. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
As the ocean returned to normal, regular sounds began to filter through. The dull roar of the surf, the nervous chatter of Etha's nymphs, the distant siren of emergency vehicles finally realizing that something had happened. Andy? Where was Andy? I spun in a helpless circle, surging up and down the beach, before a heavy hand came down on my shoulder. I turned around, looking up, way up, into Themia's forest green eyes. You and I must have a chat, priestess, she said. I, yes, I guess we should. I couldn't see Andy anywhere. Where had the nymphs taken him? Iris. I forced my focus back to Themia. She seemed a little nonplussed. It wasn't every day that a goddess couldn't simply command attention. Priestess, I thought I made myself clear when I told you how to pursue this case, should it bring you into conflict with the Pantheon. You did. I trembled beneath the force of her stare. Themia wasn't a beautiful goddess. The features of her human guise were square, stark, and plain. She disdained pointless ornament. So, when I looked at her, there was nothing but the truth staring back at me. I defied my goddess. A single corner of Themia's mouth quirked up slightly. So I'm relieved this mess happened while you were... What's the mortal term? Off the clock? Because otherwise, we would be having an entirely different conversation. Oh! All the air rushed out of me in a whoosh. The goddess of justice had a sense of humor. All things were possible. Right. Lucky me. But I hope you understand the risks of deviating from my path, she added gently. My blessing and protection can only extend to the pursuit of mortal kind. You will be doubly vulnerable should you choose to investigate other gods. So don't make a habit of it. I sank to my knees and bent until my forehead touched the sand. Thank you, goddess. But a thought occurred to me, and I sat up. My lady, why did you come to rescue us if we were off the clock? I didn't come for you. Grimacing in exasperation, Themia gestured down the beach, where Estros was entertaining a gaggle of grateful nymphs by conjuring vortexes in the sand. Estros summoned me. He implied, with an infuriating level of hints and doublespeak, that a certain relic of his might be recovered if we followed his wife. Estros and his priorities. Did he know Tillamon was the murderer all along? Perhaps, but it's more likely he didn't bother to think about it until this scandal affected his reputation among the faithful. Once he finally realized the situation wouldn't just blow over, he felt properly motivated to start connecting the dots. Poor Pippa. Poor Teddy, I thought. They must have petitioned Estros, thinking his relationship with Tillamon would be an additional layer of protection to keep the sea goddess at bay. But that's not how marriage in the Pantheon worked. I will expect you back at my temple tomorrow, 8 a.m. sharp, Themia said. Of course, my lady. You might want to head down to the water now. Why? 
Because you've got about three minutes to say goodbye to your little demi-friend. Turning to the ocean, I almost missed him. Sea nymphs were practically invisible in the water, and by then only Andy's head could be seen, bobbing above the surface. Without so much as a goodbye to Themia, I raced down the beach toward the retreating water, kicking up sand with my heels, my breath hitching in my throat. Wait! Wait! The nymphs slowed. I staggered through the water toward them, then doggy paddled as the sea floor fell away beneath me. Andy gave me a watered-down version of his confident grin. I was worried you wouldn't make it. You knew, I whispered. You touched the ocean on purpose. You could have told me. You would have stopped me. He spat out a mouthful of seawater, his long hair floating around his face like weeds. When the chips were down, I knew only a god could condemn a god. You got to be the hero after all, I said. Nah, we solved the case together, as partners. My legs already ached from treading water. Justice prevails. So why did I feel like I was losing everything? What's going to happen to you? If I knew, where would the fun be in that? The flippancy didn't reach his eyes. Surf world's not in the cards anymore. Wherever I end up, I'll handle it. I mean it, Iris. I'll find my way out of my own mess, and I won't do it by sucking up to any more deities. But you're so good at it. My voice broke on good. He laughed, and I took the opportunity to splash forward, wrap my arms around his neck, and kiss him. We sank beneath the waves, but he still tasted like warm sand and salt and comfort and courage. Then he sank away from me into the deep, and I could only reach out for him for a few moments before instinct forced me back to the surface. I'll pray for you, Andy, I said. My throat closed up before I completely disgraced myself. But I meant it all the same. Iris. Three months later. I sat on stage in front of an auditorium of novices and tried not to yawn. At the podium, Father Edwin droned through his tried-and-true, selfless servants of justice orientation speech. When the last speech had been dutifully applauded and the justices in training started filtering out to start the year's classes, I singled out one in particular. Teddy, it's good to see you. He'd abandoned the slouch and surrendered the mustache. Still, it wasn't hard to recognize him. Just Thorough. He bobbed his head in an awkward nod. The two of us sidled into a pair of empty auditorium seats as the rest of the novices filed out. I guess I have you to thank for my acceptance into the priesthood. You did most of the work. Teddy and Etha had split the reward for returning Estros's relic and keeping mum on how it had gone missing in the first place. Etha had gained the Wind God's patronage for the garden, and Teddy had emerged with a clean criminal record, clemency for his family, and a few holy letters of reference. Not that I'm not happy to welcome you to the team, but I'm surprised you wanted to become a priest. Teddy smiled, but it didn't quite reach his eyes. 
That's how it works in this country, isn't it? Without a god, you're nothing. He sighed. No, that's not true. I'm still not okay with how the system works, but maybe once I'm in the system, I can start changing things for the better. Making sure everyone receives the blessing of justice. Themia would definitely approve. How's the family, by the way? My siblings are fine. His gaze slid away. I don't talk to my parents much. They're petitioning for Pothin's protection these days. Haven't had much success, though. I didn't bother reminding him how difficult it was for most first-generation Outlander families to secure a patron. Their family had learned the hard way not to trust gods who offered blessings without first outlining the cost. Why don't I walk you to your first class? He hefted his school bag over one shoulder. Sure. We walked through the corridors of the temple in companionable silence before Teddy asked, As long as you're here, can I ask about Telamon? No one will tell me. To his credit, his voice only wobbled a little. She's been placed under a gesh by the Three Mothers. That means she'll be taken somewhere and forced to do something. Typically some demeaning task or quest for a specific length of time that will keep her out of trouble for at least as long as your natural life. Teddy looked surprised. That's it? What about the details? Don't I deserve to know how she was punished? I reached out and took his hand. The Pantheon believes it's... inappropriate for mortals to know when and how a disobeying god is brought low. Years ago, a god misused me, too, and he didn't wind up with any consequences at all. I just feel so powerless. You have power over yourself and the decisions you make. That's one thing the gods can't take away. So, use what power you have to make the world better for other people. That reminded me of Cedric and the rest of Tillamon's priesthood, who were still being held without trial while the gods debated their fate. They'd all chosen to follow Tillamon and cover up her crimes, but we lived in a society where defying a god in itself was a crime. Would they be prosecuted for obeying Tillamon? Or would the Pantheon sweep their case under the rug to avoid setting a dangerous precedent? It means a lot to me, how much you helped me. How hard you fought for my sister, Teddy said. He couldn't quite look me in the eye. But I still don't understand why. Because my vocation is to dispense justice, I said. The kid's mouth turned up in a smirk before he caught himself. Okay, but from my experience, that just means justice for some. I opened my mouth to protest, but I was pretty sure Teddy's brand new Blessed Oak would react to pretty much anything I said. I thought of those Outlander girls. Twenty, at Amelia's last count, going back fifty years, although she now had assistants combing through even older records. These girls were currently being privately exhumed and re-examined by Imemba's death priests. I thought of Etha and her girls. Estros's patronage would go a long way towards rehabilitating the garden's image, but they still lived in a world that didn't recognize nymphs as people. Some nymphs who went out at night never came back, and you couldn't legally call it a crime.
I thought of Estros himself. I realized now he had to have known what Tillamon was doing. He'd known, and he hadn't cared, until Tillamon had left her mess on his doorstep to spite him. And with his relic restored and his reputation repaired, he had emerged from this scandal relatively scot-free. Justice isn't perfect, I said at last. And neither are we. But with the gifts the gods give us, we can do our best to bring Themia's blessing to more people. Teddy nodded as we arrived at his classroom. Before he went in, he turned back to me. Hey, will I be seeing Andy anytime soon? Andy? Now it was my turn to keep my voice level. Yeah, the demigod I, uh, smashed into a wall. I always meant to apologize for that, but everything was so chaotic after the Sea Mother took Tillamon away. We don't see very much of each other these days. There, not technically a lie, but it still hurt to say. But if I run into him, I'll pass it along. When I got back to my office, I found a sacred bloodhound waiting for me. More like a puppy, actually. It wasn't only the priests who were taking on new students today. I had to pry the message out of his mouth, and I couldn't make much of the drool-soaked writing other than, High Priest's Office, Convenient. Glad you could make it, Thoro, Father Edwin said when I finally appeared. We have a new case for you. There's been a series of robberies down by the Nexos docks. A nice, safe robbery. I refrained from sighing loud enough for the high priest to hear me. Since my tussle with Tillamon, Father Edwin kept me to simpler cases with clearly defined boundaries. Thefts, extortion, vandalism, petty human crimes committed by petty human criminals without so much as a whiff of godly involvement. Nauticom Limited has been raided three times in as many weeks, Father Edwin continued. I know that name, I cut in. Isn't that Justix Bannix's case? The high priest steepled his fingers, like a doctor reluctant to pass along bad news. It was. Until Almanin, goddess of the Eastern Current, got involved. She's patron to Nauticom and seems to believe this is a personal attack on her by another goddess due to some romantic rivalry. Justic Spanik worried he might not possess the necessary, er, uh, sensitivity to pursue this case. I sat up straighter. Sensitivity? Father Edwin sighed. As much as I hate to admit it, as the gods become more involved in modern human affairs, the boundaries between pantheon law and human law will inevitably grow more blurred. Tillamon's case might not be as isolated an example as I once thought. Was Father Edwin actually admitting to being wrong? Which god did I need to burn incense to in response to this miracle? He continued, As you previously handled such an issue with some measure of success, I would like you to take over this case. 
Due to its critical nature, you'll have access to greater resources, should you require them. Resources? I asked, trying to keep my voice innocent. Like, perhaps, some additional assistance? If you'd like another Justix to accompany you on this case, I'd be willing to reassign- I wasn't thinking of another Justix. Then who? Well, I leaned back in my chair. I'd need someone with the inside scoop on marine deities, demonstrable experience with intrapantheonic politics, and maybe a personal history of theft and smuggling, who also looks great in a suit. Father Edwin scowled. Does such a uniquely qualified individual even exist? I propped my heels up on Father Edwin's desk, causing his eyebrows to make a break for his thinning hairline. I know just the man for the job. You're listening to Gods and Lies, narrated by Carrie Height and Sarah Malo Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Gods and Lies is written by Elizabeth Vale, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music are by Amanda Rose Smith.